Lord, we do thank you. We praise you for all of the blessings you have given us. We live in the most blessed nation in the world. I just pray that we remember that it's because you blessed it. It's not because we worked for it, it's because you have blessed it. I just pray that this, this nation as a whole would remember that and that we would turn back to you. Amen. So one of the things that I love about the writings of the Apostle John is that he generally tells us why he's writing. <clears throat> For example, the book of the Revelation, it is a wonderful book that honestly many people are afraid of. And there's a lot going on there, right? You've got the trumpets blown, the bowls of judgment poured out, there's, there's people dying, the water source is contaminated, you've got all these things going on. You know, the, the book itself is the record of the end of time before the event actually happens. And fear could be a natural reaction if you were living the events of the book of the Revelation. But if you notice how John opens this book, he says, very first chapter, the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show to his bondservants the things which must soon take place. And he sent and communicated it. He communicated these things by his angel to his bondservant John. We're bondservant could be slave, his slave John, who testified to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. Then verse 3, listen to this. Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of the prophecy and heed the things which are written in it, for the time is near. John front loads this book, the book of the Revelation, and he tells us right at the beginning that it's meant to be a blessing, not something to be fearful of. You know, if he didn't say that, the majority of the people who read it would probably be terrified. Instead, he says, here it is, read it, and be blessed in the reading and understanding of it. First John, he begins by telling us why he and the, the rest of the gospel writers wrote the gospels. Uh, 1 John, what was from the beginning, what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we have looked and touched with our hands concerning the word of life, the word of life, you know, speaking of Jesus, the word of life, and the life was manifested, and we have seen and testify and proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was manifested to us. What we have seen and heard, we proclaim to you also, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. Verse 4, these things we write so that our joy may be made complete. They, they wrote about Jesus. They wrote so that we could have fellowship with God and through that fellowship have joy. And John said it brings him joy to know that people have fellowship with God. That's, that's why the Gospels were written, so that we, we would have fellowship with God. At the end of 1 John, John tells us why he wrote that, why he wrote 1 John. 
5.13, he says, he wrote it so that people who believe in Jesus could know they know him. 1 John is written so that you can read it and know whether or not you're saved. In his gospel, John told us why he wrote the gospel. He tells us exactly why he wrote it. He had a purpose. So if we want to understand Scripture, if we, if we want to understand what it means, if we want to understand how it affects us, what it means for us, we need to know what's going on. Right? What was going on when it was written? We need to go, we need to know why the writer actually wrote what he wrote. And John is clear. That's that's what we're looking at here in John chapter 20, verses 30 through 31. And John says, again, chapter 20, uh, verses 30 through 31. He says, therefore, many other signs Jesus also performed in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these have been written, so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in His name. John's Gospel is attacked by liberal Christians, by non-Christians, by cultists, probably more than any other book in the Bible. They do that because when you read John's Gospel, it's obvious that it is a book about Jesus. It is a book about His deity. It is a book meant to show us that, yes, Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus is the God-man. Now, how many of you have had a knock on your door, you know, you, you answer the door, and the person on the other side says, are you prepared for a natural disaster? Have you had that? Zach's laughing, I know, we've talked about this before. And they hand you this information. It doesn't really identify what group they're with, you're not really sure. And they'll, they'll generally open up their Bible, which... which I would say isn't really a Christian Bible. They open up their Bible, they go to the first, first chapter of John, and they attack the very first verse of John to try to prove that Jesus is not God. They'll read, you know, remember, first chapter, first verse, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. They, they read that, but they take that, and they say, no, 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 that's not right. See, the English Bible is, has wrongly interpreted that verse and it should say in the beginning was the word and the word uh, was with God and the word was a God you know it doesn't it doesn't say the word is God it says the word is a God they're wrong first off okay but throughout this book Jesus calls himself equal to God he says he was sent by God and as we talked about last week he resurrects from the dead which wouldn't have happened if he were not exactly whom he said he is. Beyond that, you know, other books of the Bible. First verses of Hebrews, we read this. God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers 
in the prophets in many portions and in many ways in these last days has spoken to us in his son. Now who's that? That's Jesus. Uh, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom he also made the world. So at that point, God is calling Jesus his son. Then in verse 8, we are told this. Of the son, of Jesus, he says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. And the righteous scepter is the scepter of his kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated lawlessness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness above your companions. God the Father calls Jesus God in that verse. God himself calls Jesus God. Now, so that person knocking on my door can come and say that, God, that Jesus is not God, but when I look at Hebrews 1, I'm going to say, you know what, I'll take God's word for it. He calls Jesus God. So, uh, one last verse. Revelation 1. Jesus speaking in Revelation 1 says, I am the first and the last. Uh, other tra translations, I am the Alpha and the Omega. Now, Alpha and Omega, beginning and end, right? First and last. And if you ask that person knocking on your door, you, you say, who is the Alpha and the Omega? They'll say, well, of course that's God. That can only speak of God. Continue with the verse. Uh, verse, verse one, uh, chapter 1, verse 18, it says, And the living one. So it says, I am the first and the last. And the living one. I was dead. And behold, I am alive. Now, if you ask the person at the door, when did God die? they're going to give you a blank look because they haven't more than likely been taught how to respond to that question. Instead, they're prepared to debate you. It's why they always go to John 1. They're prepared to debate that. They're prepared with a response to any defense that you can give them. Why? Because they know that if you simply read John for what it says, there's only two possible conclusions you can come to. Jesus is God, or John is a liar. That's it. Each of the four Gospels presents Jesus in a different way. Matthew, uh, Matthew presents Jesus as the King of the Jews and, and emphasizes Jesus' teaching. Uh, Mark pre presents Him as the suffering servant and shows His authority. Luke presents Him as a Savior for all. Remember, Luke was a Gentile. He presents Him as a Savior for all, and he writes as a non-Jew, writing to non-Jews. And then John. John presents Jesus as God. He focuses on his works. He focuses on the seven signs. He focuses on the seven I am statements. Uh, John was written long after the other Gospels, and he fills in some gaps left by the other Gospels. John had a purpose. When, when I talk to someone and I share the Lord with them, or if, if I have someone who tells me they want to start reading the Bible, if I give someone a Bible, I gave a family member a Bible who was going into a, an addiction program, and I wrote a letter, 
to this person, I wrote a prayer out for him, and I stuck it in the beginning of John. And I said, start here. Uh, someone asked me where they should start in the Scripture. I point them to the Gospel of John. Someone asked me, you know, what book they should start with. This is where I point them, and, and there's a reason. John is the Gospel that declares the deity of Christ. You, you can't read this and have even the most basic understanding of what it is and walk away thinking that Jesus is anything other than God. Jesus is the Son of God. He is the Savior of the world. As John wrote, he, John wanted his readers to understand that. He wanted them, he wanted us to know that, that this Jesus is the long-promised, long-awaited Messiah. This Jesus is the one who came to take away the sins of the world. This, this Jesus is God in flesh. So John focuses on Jesus. He, John doesn't even name himself in this book. right? We've talked about this. Instead, in his utter amazement, he simply refers to himself as the disciple Jesus loved. He, he, he knew who Jesus was. And he, as he's writing, he is so amazed that Jesus loves him. You know, that's, we talk about songs we should sing every week. That's probably one of them. Jesus loves me. I, I think we sometimes forget how true of a statement that is and how important of a statement it is that Jesus loves me. Jesus loves you. When, when you compare this gospel to the others, you find several things uh, th that the other gospel writers include that John doesn't. Remember, John was one of the Lord's inner circle, right? Uh, along with, with Peter and James. We don't, you don't pick that up in John's gospel. Uh, John was on the Mount of Transfiguration when the Lord uh, pulled back a little of the flesh and revealed some of His glory. He doesn't mention it. Instead, he focuses on what Jesus does and what Jesus says and what a reminder that should be for us. You know, it's, it's all too easy to think that Christianity is about us. You know, it's that, that Jesus went to the cross because of our great worth. It's, it's not the case though, is it? He, he went to the cross because of our great need. He, he had to go to the cross because He wants people to be saved from the penalty of their sin. He wants people saved from the fires of hell. Mankind and individual you know, men and women sinned against Almighty Holy God and earned judgment for that sin. So God sent God into His creation. We're, we're a week and a half away from Christmas. A week and a half away from celebrating the day that Almighty God became a helpless baby in a manger. He, he entered into this very world, the very world He created, so that He could be its Savior. He, because He's the only one who could be. He, he entered the world, and we celebrate that every December 25th. He entered into our world 
so that he could leave this very world at the hands of sinful men. He, he came so he could die, and he died as an atoning sacrifice for all those who would come to know him as Lord and Savior. And the Apostle John's life was forever changed by this man. Remember, John was very young when he became a disciple of Christ. Some, some believe he was probably in his early teens. But Jesus changed his life. And so when John wrote this gospel, he wanted this gospel to prove the deity of Christ in a more clear way than, than the other gospels did. He, he <coughs> used the works of Jesus to prove who Jesus is. And John focused on seven signs or seven miracles of Jesus because they undeniably prove who Jesus is. And the seven signs, he turned the water into wine at the, at the wedding in Canaan. You know, that was in John 2. And John told us that's the first sign Jesus performed. It was kind of semi-private. You know, the disciples saw this happen. You know, they saw the Lord do this without ever getting up from the table. The, the people at the wedding didn't know what Jesus had done, but Jesus prevented a disaster from happening in the life of this groom. The second sign is the healing of the royal official's son. And if you remember, they're in Canaan and they're walking along and this royal official comes up and he comes to Jesus and he, you know, my son's sick. Will you come and heal him? And Jesus said, go, your son is well. And Jesus healed the boy from miles away. If you remember, the, the royal official walks away and people come and come running to meet him that his son was healed. Uh, the, the third sign, the healing of the paralytic at the pool of Bethesda. Remember, John 5, the man is... Paralyzed 38 years. And they're all down at the pool of Bethesda. All these uh, paralytics and sick, sick, sick people. They're down there and they got this superstition that the water's going to stir and they're going to, first one in's going to get healed. And this man's been down there trying to, you know, he's trying to be the first one in. Jesus sees him, walks over to him, says, Get up, pick up your mat and walk. Just like that, after 38 years, the man walks. You know, Jesus healed the man's body. If, if you've had a cast, I broke my foot when I was 13, I think. Cast for six weeks. And I remember when they took it off, she cut that cast off and cracked that thing open and my leg looked like a little spindle. Right, you know, I lost all muscle tone. You know, I had to. My ankle was weak. I had to get used to walking again. This man stood up and walked away after 38 years, as though he had never been paralyzed. Fourth sign, John 6, the feeding of the 5,000. Jesus is teaching the disciples, and this crowd follows him. The, the crowd had seen him healing the sick. I want it to stay near because, man, this guy can give us what we want. So he fed them. 
5,000 men plus women plus children, you know, likely tens of thousands of people. How do you feed a crowd like that? You know, the, the only food anyone could find was a sack lunch being carried by a little boy. You know, five little pieces of bread and two small fish. And the Lord took that and blessed it and prayed to God and He fed the entire crowd with that little snack and there were leftovers. You know, Jesus multiplied what was given to Him. Now, the fifth sign, John 6 also, Jesus walks on water. He feeds the 5,000. He went off by himself to pray. And as night fell, the disciples, they hop in a boat to cross the Sea of Galilee. But Jesus isn't with them. This nasty storm blows in, as often happens on the Sea of Galilee. And these highly experienced sailors, you know, this wasn't me hopping out in a boat. These are guys that this is what they do. They, they knew sailing. These highly experienced sailors, they're terrified of the storm. They're certain they're going to die in it. To their surprise, in the midst of the storm, the Lord Jesus walks to them on the surface of the water, calms the storm, climbs in the boat, and the text says immediately they were on the shore. Ever tried walking on water? You know, it's not like the cartoons where you just run really fast and stay on the top. Uh, you know, I, I wouldn't recommend doing this unless it's really shallow water. Uh, sixth sign, the healing of the man born blind. John chapter 9. Jesus and the disciples are walking along and they see this man who was born blind. And the disciples ask Jesus this odd question. Who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? That's a, that's a peculiar question. You know, why was he born blind? Did he sin before he was born, which was a Jewish belief, you know, that you could sin before you were born and be held accountable for it? Or did his parents sin, which was another Jewish belief that you could be punished for the sins of your parents? And Jesus says, no, neither of those things happened. He was born blind so that God's glory could shine through him. He was born blind for that very day. Jesus healed him. New eyes, new optic nerve, new blood vessels, new connection between the, 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 the eye and the brain. Whatever it took, Jesus did it. How'd he do it? Made some mud, wiped it on his eyes, told him to go over and wash it off. He was healed. Uh, totally incredible. Uh, the seventh sign, the one that all of them kind of, you know, this is the culmination. The, rising, uh, the raising of Lazarus from the dead. Chapter 11, you remember, Lazarus falls ill and his sisters send to Jesus to come help him and, and Jesus stays where he is for a few more days because he knows that Lazarus is going to die. So he, he waits till Lazarus is dead. They, they head to Bethany. They get there and they find out not to... Certainly not to Jesus' surprise, but Lazarus has been dead four days. The Jews believed that it was possible for someone to rise from the dead for three days after death. So Jesus waits four days so they would know without a doubt that yes, Lazarus was dead. He, he goes to Bethany and with a sentence, Lazarus, come forth. 
Lazarus walks out of the tomb. And Jesus, with that, showed that he has the power over life and death. So what possible conclusion can you come to after reading those seven signs or those seven miracles? What about not only reading those, but what about if you add in the words of Jesus? John not only has the seven signs, but he has the seven I am statements. And we'll we'll quickly go through them. Uh, John 6.35, after he feeds the 5,000, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will not hunger. He who believes in me will never thirst. Jesus spiritually sustains us. Uh, Number two, John 8.12, and this is after the, the Feast of Booths. And Jesus standing in front of the, most likely standing in front of the menorah, which had been lit all week. He stands there and says, I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in the darkness, but will have the light of life. we, We gain spiritual wisdom and spiritual understanding through knowing Jesus. Uh, number three, John 10, 9. And remember, John 10 is all this uh, shepherd and sheep. Uh, Jesus is talking about being a shepherd and uh, his sheep. John 10, 9. I am the door. If anyone enters through me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. Jesus is the door to the kingdom of heaven. We enter it through him. Uh, number four, John 10 again. Verse 11. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. And that, looking back to Psalm 23, Jesus is the door to the kingdom of heaven because he laid down his life for his sheep who he will call to himself. Uh, number five, John chapter 11. When after the, you know, when they're getting ready to raise Lazarus, Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even if he dies. Everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? We have eternal life in Jesus Christ. Number six, John 14. You remember this is, they're in the upper room. And we talked about this last week. Thomas, you know, Jesus is saying, I'm going away. Thomas says, well, we don't know where you're going. How are we going to know the way? And John 14, six, Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Jesus is the only one who can give us eternal life and the only one who can bridge the gap between sinful man and holy God. Uh, number seven, John fifteen five. The end of his, he's getting close to where he's going to be arrested in the garden. He's still talking to the disciples. He says, I am the vine. You are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. As we we live our lives as saved people who know Jesus as Lord and Savior, the things we do for him, the works we do in our lives are the things that matter. Because they have eternal consequences. So, when you read John and you read the seven signs, and you know, there are really only, again, two possible explanations for what John tells us. Jesus is God, or John is a liar. 
Either Jesus really did all these things, and if he did, there's only one possibility. He is God. You cannot read the miracles performed by Jesus and then read his words and say, this is you know, just another guy. Either he's God or John made it up. That's why this gospel is so often attacked as not being true. If, if you read this and you don't believe that Jesus is God, you know the other possibility is that John made it all up. John made it up. Jesus is not the way. And if that is the case, then what does that mean? It means Jesus is not the Christ. It means He is not the Son of God. It could mean there is no God. You know, could mean, well, this, this life is all there is. When it's over, that's it. You know, this is in Matthew's Gospel. Eat and drink for tomorrow we die. You know, eat, drink, and be merry. Or it could mean that there's some other way to salvation. And let's be honest, isn't that what sinful people want? They want some other way to God besides through repenting of their sin, giving up that sin and turning to Christ, dying to themselves, trusting to Him, trusting in Him and Him alone. And look, this, this is the difference between true Christianity and every other religion. You know, there's there's only two religions in the world. We hear all these, all these, all these there's two. There's Christianity and there's everything else. That's it. And this is the difference. Man-made religions are all about man figuring out a way to get to God. It doesn't matter what religion it is. Anything that is not Christianity is all about how we get to God. You know, it's either through my works, you know, my good works that I do to earn my, earn my way to God. You know, through the good things I've done or, you know, the big one, well, I'm not as bad as this person over here. Right? That's a, that seems to be a popular way that people think they can get to heaven. You know, I'm just not as bad as, I'm not Saddam Hussein. <coughs> Biblical Christianity is all about how God came down to man. God knows that we, that mankind, man can do nothing on our own to repay him. So God did the only thing that can redeem man. He became a person. He was the first Christmas gift. So, as we are coming to the end of John, we, we still have one more chapter to go yet, but as we approach the end of this book, you have, you've read the miracles, right? If you've been here, we've been in this for two and a half years now. You, you've, or two, over two years, you've, you've read the miracles. Have you believed? Do you, do you have life in Jesus' name? That's why John wrote this. And if you don't, why not ask for it right now? Yeah, why not confess your sin to Him, repent of it, ask Him to forgive you through His finished work on the cross? And again, if you need to talk about that, see me after the service. This is, this is too important to, to just say, no, I don't need to do that. 
Let's let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are so thankful for this wonderful book, this this wonderful gospel given us by John, written by John, given to us by you. Um, we, we are so thankful for the clarity in it, the, the clarity with which Jesus is shown as the God-man, shown as the Savior of the world, shown as the Lamb of God, Father, this is a book that you can sit down and read in probably a matter of an hour or maybe two hours. But Lord, it's a it's a book that I don't think we can ever fully plumb the depths of. as we come to this passage and we read why John wrote, it's my hope and my prayer that, that even right now, all of us here are thinking back on what we've learned from this book. I even pray that we would go home this afternoon and read this book again knowing it was given to us that we can have eternal life through, through knowing what it says, through knowing Jesus. Lord, how much we could, we could grow in faith, how much we could grow in the knowledge of You, just by simply reading Your reading Your Word, studying Your Word, spending time in prayer, praying for the Holy Spirit to, to be active in our lives. And, and by active, I mean bringing Scripture to, to, uh, to a new meaning, to, uh, to uh, illuminating Scripture.